0: Haven't you always wanted to be that person who was equally at home talking to kindergarten kids and to CEOs, that person who everybody looked at in a crisis because they were always cool and smart and compassionate and they knew what to do. That person who no matter what was happening in their personal life, always seemed to have it together. I'm Linda Ferguson of NLP Canada Training, and in this new series of podcasts, I'd like to take you through, day by day, our practitioner training and explain a little bit about how it works, because most of us aren't that person. Most of us feel like we get thrown out of our best selves over and over, day after day, that if it is not something annoying in our personal life. It is something outside our control at the office, but we are continually being thrown out of the person we want to be, out of the experience we want to have, and ending up uncool and unhappy and unsuccessful. Now, it seems like maybe some people are just blessed by the universe, and they are born knowing how to manage everything that goes on around them so that they always get the best from themselves. But I'm going to let you in on a secret. Knowing how you get the best from yourself under every circumstance isn't a talent so much as it is a skill set. And people who seem to make it effortless are often people who have practiced long and hard to know themselves, to understand their reactions, and to be able to have choice about what their experience will be. You can have that choice, but you can't have it Because I say so. You can't have it in a magic moment. You can have it if you do two things. One, learn how the human system works. You're a human being, a mind, a brain, and a body in dynamic interaction. And as much as people have helped you during your life to train your body, or to train your brain, or sometimes even to train your mindset, Very few people have ever had someone explain this is is how all these pieces fit together so that you could see how you could make changes in the system to get results that you liked. Now, knowing what to do isn't good enough. You have to do it. And doing it, It takes willpower, it takes skill, it takes intention. You have to be able to know what is possible and do it. And that takes practice. Practice means showing up to try things. Notice the result you get, fine tune, try it again, over and over in a controlled setting so that you can do it when you need it in your life. So let's start talking a little about the core of NLP, which is state. And state in NLP is a word that means who you are and how you feel at a given moment. Now how you feel, that's fuzzy language. Because sometimes we use it for emotion and sometimes we use it for our physical bodies. But in NLP, the two are understood to be so closely tied together that a feeling is the point where your mind and your body together produce an effect. But sometimes your mind and your brain are working together and those states feel more like, focus, attention, determination, they start getting the body in there too. And you'll start to notice that all of these words for something that might be an emotion, it might be a personal strength or characteristic, or it might be a kind of attention you are able to pay, all of these involve the whole system working together to produce an effect, the mind, the body, and the brain. So if we want to make any changes in our state, whether it means cooling off before we have that difficult conversation, or staying cool when all around us seems to be going a little nuts, We need to begin by understanding how the system puts those states together. What are the building blocks of state? Your brain has only one function and that function is to allow you to survive and thrive in a way that encourages the whole species to survive and thrive. And that means that sometimes your brain scans for danger and stimulates your body and your mind to work together to keep you safe. And sometimes your brain scans the world for opportunities for growth and adaptation and evolution. But the only way your brain can make evolution happen is to trigger actions in your body, to trigger actions that connect you with other human beings. We call those communication. And to invite your mind to participate in this great work of surviving and thriving, which means inviting your thoughts to be part of who you are and how you act. In a training, we practice thinking about how we can change elements in our states that are connected either to our minds, to the thoughts we think, to the voice in our head and what it's telling us, or to our bodies, to the way we move, the way we feel, the way we tense up, and the way we show expression and communication, the way we behave. We can't change the brain directly. We have no inputs that are direct, but we have all of the different layers of mind and body that we can work with. And because a state is like a recipe, when we change one ingredient, we change the result. Your body is not just your posture, although that interacts with your mind and with your brain to make you feel either confident and energized or defeated and unhappy. Your brain, your physiology is also the way you move, your rhythms, your strength, your flexibility, your energy, and then also all of the ways that you take information in about the world, the way you pay attention to what you are seeing or hearing or feeling and interpret that. First level, you have to gather the information and you can only gather some of it. And all of that is your body showing up. Now, what you do with your body can be driven either by something you think about or it can be driven by an automatic response that comes out of your brain to your body to make your body respond appropriately to help you either survive or to take advantage of opportunity. So sometimes our actions are determined by our thoughts, but most of the time our actions are determined by our automatic processes in the brain. Sometimes we call them habits, sometimes we call them instincts, sometimes we call them reflexes, but they drive most of our behavior Now, when we are feeling good and we are able to be super aware, to have that heightened sense of observation and interaction with the world, that heightened perception allows us to store a memory of that good moment so that our brain can automatically drive us to recreate it in the future. It's important then to be the kind of person who recognizes when things are going well and appreciates them. And we use that word appreciate of things like wine or performances and we mean pay attention even to the details so you milk kind of all the juicy goodness out of an experience. A lot of times, the states we're in are uncomfortable. They may have some sort of purpose in our brain. They may bring us benefits, but we don't always like them. They're not always in accordance with what our minds, our identities, want us to be. Panic must have an evolutionary purpose or we wouldn't panic so much. But panic doesn't feel good. So if we want to be the calm head in a room full of people panicking. We have to not only recognize what state we're in, but be able to change it. And changing it involves at least three steps after we understand that state is a sort of interaction, a cooperation of brain and body and mind. Producing a particular recipe for being that way and not being a different way. Your first step is to separate who you are, the person who wants to be cool, from what you are experiencing in your body, in your thoughts, in your perceptions. This is the essence of all mindfulness techniques. All self-awareness means, first of all, being aware that the self is separate from the system that has perhaps created it. But the self, the mind, the person you want to be, that intention can step back and even look at your patterns of thinking as well as your patterns of physiology, your patterns of behavior. And you can say, what is that person who looks and sounds like me experiencing? And how is that experience changing the information they bring in about the world and the actions they send out into the world? Once you have a sort of inventory of what a particular experience changes in the mind-brain-body system, how it changes your action, how it changes your relationships, how it changes your reactions, then you've sort of reverse engineered the recipe for creating that state. And so you have an opportunity as you imagine that state, as you remember it, and any state strong enough that you want to change it is strong enough so it's been encoded in your brain in memory, and you can bring it right back into awareness. And then you can say, what if? What if I keep those thoughts but change the physiology? What if I change my tone of voice? What if I move my body differently? Can I still hold this state? Or does that change the recipe enough so that something new becomes possible? And eventually, you try something, might be something that you think of as trivial. I mean, most people know That if they pull their shoulders back, if they hold their hands loosely and openly, and if they breathe from the diaphragm, pulling up nice, deep, rounded breaths, they're going to feel more relaxed. And that when they feel more relaxed, they are more open, Not just in some metaphorical, fuzzy-wuzzy way, but in that they are attentive to more different kinds of information through their eyes and their ears and their other senses. Now, in a moment of extreme stress, do you remember? Start with the breath. Navy SEALs are trained to do it. Extreme performers in every field, Olympic athletes, are trained that when they notice stress, the first thing to change is breath. If we want to make changes in our life, we have to learn to change our breath, to change our bodies, to move differently, to move at all because a lot of times our States that we don't like are states in which we are inflexible, in which we feel like we are not capable of moving comfortably. And so when we move comfortably, the brain can't hold those two ideas at once that I am inflexible, I am scared stiff, and yet I am moving comfortably. And so to resolve it, your brain will change other things in your state. Once you notice your state has shifted, now it's time to test the new state. And you say, first of all, does this feel better? Do I like it better? Is this what I want more than what I started with? And if the answer is yes, you say, okay. Now I feel better, but I'm sort of detached from the whole thing. I've been thinking about my state and not the situation. Am I going to be able to think about things in this situation and still feel this new state? And if the answer to that is yes, then the third question is, is this change that I've brought about enough or do I need to make further change to really get I want to be. In a classroom, in a training room, even on Zoom, we slow it down. We think about all the different elements of how to recognize the state, how to change the state, how to test the state. And we do it dozens of times in the course of a training, not once or twice. Because practice is how the human brain, mind, body system takes something and learns it, encodes it in neurological patterns that become available when you really need them. So that when you practice, you get into a training room, you don't just try harder in the middle of your real life. You actually make available a skill that then kicks into use in your real life when you need it most. The cycle is always choose the state that you want. Modify your physiology, your thoughts, and your perceptions to support that new state. Test that new state. Is it getting a result you like? If it is, hold on to it. Keep going back to it more realistically so that when something knocks you out a little, it surprises you a little, come back into that state and hold it. If it's not quite right, that's okay. It only takes literally parts of a second to change state once you're practiced at it. If you don't like what you've got, change it again. And you do this over and over and over. You do it over and over and you do it when it doesn't count, when you are in a training room, when you are outside those situations where you're either really high or really scared or really low. You do it for practice so that the pattern, the skill is available to you with less willpower when you need it. Because sometimes you're going to need your willpower to deal with a lot of different things at once, with ideas, with relationships. And as you are dealing with all of this thinking, how are you also going to manage your body and your breath? How are you going to manage your movements and your expression and your choice of language? The only way to do that is to practice. Training only really has one purpose. To take something you can do sometimes and make it so much of a pattern, a known habit, that you can do it more often in more situations. Now, not everybody who takes one practitioner course and goes through the first day on mind-body thinking, on learning about how to create these recipes for states, automatically becomes cool as a cucumber in all situations. Automatically becomes able to connect with All different kinds of people because they have access to all kinds of different states within themselves to facilitate those connections. Not everybody becomes somebody who wants to talk to CEOs and to kindergarten children. But all of them have the core practice that would allow them to get there. That's just day one of NLP Canada trainings. NLP practitioner certification. Stay tuned for more information on what we do on day two.